Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Journey, a 16-week odyssey of grit, determination, endurance, and will, where the weak are exposed and the strong revealed. From Bleave Entertainment, this is Falcon's Flight. Insights and analysis on your Atlanta Falcons. Now, here's Robert Taylor and your host, Brian Giffen. It is Falcon's Flight. It is edition number 19. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. And we look back at a loss to the New Orleans Saints. Nothing new there. The sixth in the last seven times that those two teams have met. The Saints have prevailed. Now, Atlanta clinches, Robert, a non-winning season with this loss. And this goes back to what we were talking about last week, a little bit of the world beaters, egg beaters analogy again. And this past Sunday, sure enough, they were egg beaters again. Yeah, and kind of reading up a little bit on the Chargers-Falcons matchup we got coming on Sunday, consistently inconsistent. That's that's what they are. But before we dive into football, I think it's pretty well known by now that I drive over here to the posh Powder yes, Spring yes, Studios yeah. to do sure. this. With everything else that's going on in 2020, people have – completely forgotten how to drive automobiles <laughs> it is that shocking. Happened. i got news for you that was a long time before 2020 but, but it's shocking how many people don't know the rules of the road and how to handle turn arrows and if you have the inside lane and, and it's it's insane and every well not everybody because i know but <laughs> a lot of you need to go down to the dds and pick up that little rules of the road it looks like the georgia license plate yeah crack that sucker over the holidays and please read up <laughs> yeah Look, you know, so the years that I worked for the Braves, the first three, I lived in Sandy Springs, which anybody who knows Atlanta, and we trust this being a Falcons podcast, most of you do. But uh, Sandy Springs, of course, is a north suburb, or really inside the perimeter in some cases. And I used to go right down Roswell Road, down to Piedmont, and turn left, and go down to Lenox, and, you know, jump on 400, and make the drive down the connector, first via 400, and then down 8575, the connector as they call it here, to Turner Field. And my gosh, man, they lost their minds on this a long time ago. That was a daily turd hunt I do not miss or regret having to do anymore. So we won't spend too much time on Atlanta traffic, which is one last thing. <laughs> There's a great meme out there where it shows kind of the layout of New York City, like an aerial view, and it's yeah. all gridded out and just nice and squared off. And you see like L.A. and other cities, and then you see Atlanta, and it labels all the cities, and then it shows Atlanta with all these swirls and everything, and it says Atlanta because F you. <laughs> you know, like. Swirls will be appropriate yeah. for later in this program. <laughs> we remind you the NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. 
it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. The Atlanta Falcons fall to 4-8 and eight on the season, thereby clinching, again, a non-winning season. this year i'm sorry to be crass or sarcastic but if anyone's surprised by this well you haven't been paying attention they've been up they've been down it's been a roller coaster the entire season you look back over this one statistically and once again the great Taysom hill looked really good against you 27 of 37 through a pair of touchdown passes also at one point ripped off a 40 plus yard run because he is a dual threat guy and for whatever it's worth again this is your biggest rival the Saints take the sixth in the last seven meetings and do so fairly convincingly, though Atlanta made it interesting late. You know, Dan Quinn got that big win, I believe it was last season down yeah. in New Orleans, but I don't know why everybody is so down on Taysom Hill or so upset by sure. the fact that he's a good athlete. No doubt about it. He's a good it. football player. Yeah. The only thing that I don't like is that he hadn't thrown a touchdown pass since he was at BYU and the Falcons allowed his first two in his pro career, but it looks like the Saints have found the heir apparent to Drew Brees, so don't get down. I mean, hey, and this was a lot better game than the previous game. Sure, oh yeah. You know, the offensive side of the ball, the Falcons receivers had struggled, you know, creating space in between the defenders. Again, everybody, dirt cutter, questionable play calling. I made my first YouTube appearance on another Atlanta-centric sports show, and we could get into that a little later, but I'm going to continue to watch and support and come in here, and and I'm going to interrupt myself. If you're looking for silver linings, if you're looking for positives, the Falcons had one penalty in that game. Yeah. That's it. That's a sign of a disciplined football team. We can go over and over and over and over this, and we will, and we have. We just need a new coaching staff. I still have full faith in the offense. I think we need a new offensive line coach or maybe even look at beefing up the talent. I mean, well, there's three former number one picks, but I'm just ready to get through this season because, like you said, we are going to – it's a losing season. It's a lost cause now. It's officially a lost cause. I think anytime you see yourself staring down the barrel of a losing season, I don't think you're going to give up and throw the towel in, but you're definitely just going to be like, you know, let's just try to get through it. Let's muscle through it, try to win out on to next year. If you're looking for silver linings, I guess one of them would be that they only allowed three sacks after the putrid performance they had a couple of weeks ago down in, against New Orleans, that is. But on the whole, it was good to see Julio Jones back out there. Was impactful. Six catches, 94 yards. Calvin Ridley had a big game. Five catches, 108. Julio's long was 35. Ridley's was 31. You were effective to a degree throwing the ball, but you get back to running the ball again. And they combined 21 carries, 70 yards. We've talked about this before. It's not how many yards you pile up or what your rushing averages or percentages are, but it's when you use the game, how effective it is. This time, the team fell well enough behind that you don't really measure rushing stats because you're fighting your way out of a hole all day. Yeah, running game definitely wasn't effective at all. Some people are saying the Todd Gurley experiment is over. I don't Honestly, right now, I don't know where I stand on that. Another thing, though, that you can point to in this Falcons game is that they struggled to convert third downs. I think they were 5 of 13. You're probably not going to have a very successful football game if you can't convert on third down. But with that many third downs, too, I guess, I mean, could you officially say they played behind the sticks a lot? Well, 15, find yourself in 15 third down situations? Certainly you do. I mean, and the other thing about it is that the red zone production wasn't very good either. And once again, and this has been something that's been harped on with the Falcons for a long time, but the red zone production just wasn't good in this game. They moved the ball pretty well between the 20s, 
But in the end, Atlanta falls to 4-8, and eight, losing to New Orleans. And I think as much as anything, this would stick in the locals' craws, the fact that they've now dropped 6 out of 7 against the hated Saints. But you never want to get swept against the Saints because our fans do not like their fans and their fans do not like our fans. You know, each side says the other one is just as equally obnoxious. <laughs> and I would argue that's probably one of the biggest rivals in all of the NFL if not all of sports. I mean, that's a pretty intense rivalry you got going there. Oh, it's certainly one of many, and there are some really good ones. You know, there are also some that have literally been derailed and destroyed by effectively ineffective and or too involved hands-on owners. Greatest example I can give you is the Cowboys-Redskins rivalry. That used to be must-view. Of course, the league in general used to be must-view, but that used to be one of those must-watch type of games. It was like a war twice a year and oftentimes back in the day those two teams were fighting for divisions and you know they met each other in playoff games and this and that and the other thing but really hands-on or excessively meddlesome ownership has kind of ruined both of those because both those franchises are middling to irrelevant most years now i think i would call it the cowgirls and the deadskins late night pillow fight <laughs> is what i'd call it now that's about what it's <laughs> summed up to that's evolution of the league certainly but you look back over time and you know you look at different times and who's relevant and who's not and that's one that stands out that really has been undone by meddlesome ownership well, let's get into our sound cuts now as raheem morris of course answering questions monday after the game talking about winning culture and this was talked about in new orleans that this was an ugly win of sorts i bet it looks a lot prettier down there than it does here here's morris on winning culture even in ugly games you're talking about building a winning culture, even in losses. You want to develop at all times and what you're trying to do, you know, and those type of games are great games that you're going to be a part of every year you coach in the National Football League. You know, when you coach in the National Football League, there are going to be times you're going to have to win ugly games and there's going to be ugly battles. And you're not going to always get across the things you want to get across within a football game. You know, a lot of times you go out and you want to set and dictate terms and you like to go out and score first and take the lead with your quarterback and make them be one-dimensional and force them into a, a certain type of battle. Uh, we were not able to do that. And the game was one of those ugly fought games, which they wanted it to be, and it was played on their terms. But we got all the way down to the end there to the wire and still had a chance to win. And uh, I think that's the biggest learning lesson for the team and moving forward and how you want to go. So every single week you go out there, um, you try to put that type of thing down and how you're going to find out how to become a winning culture. You know, there's teams that are 11-0 right now. You know, the Steelers, they, they won a game, and their, their classic line from their coach was, you know, what would you think about that? And he said it was It was absolutely true on how he felt about that day even though they won. You got to find a way to win those ugly games. Um, you got to find a way to win those moments and go out there and take your team into that next level. One positive development this season, as it has unfolded the way it has, not not a whole lot of them with the record being what it is, the start they got off to, et cetera. But the development of A.J. Terrell, here is Morris on that. The development of A.J. has been you know, critical throughout the season. Um, you're talking about a rookie who started from us from the beginning. Um, it's kind of gone to the point where so far as he's not even a rookie anymore. He's just a guy playing out there and just kind of learn on the run. And to a guy yesterday that was able to shadow Michael Thomas a little bit on a couple of our calls and, and actually go out there and compete at a very high level. And you're going to give up some catches to Michael Thomas. Um, he's going to get the best out of you sometimes. You, and you just got to make those plays that you're capable of making when you get a chance. And yesterday he had a chance to make a great undercutting interception and walk that thing down and give our offense either a chance to have a short field or score himself. And those are the plays you got to make uh, when you're in that kind of guy's position and where you're going to go from this point. I'm really fired up where he's going. I'm really fired up where AJ's going to be. 
Um, and I'm really fired up at his demeanor and how he approaches every single game. Yeah, so Terrell just one bright spot and a season, Robert, that hasn't had a whole lot of them. And again, when you're four and eight and start zero and five, that's <laughs> that tends to be the way it goes. Yeah, it, it looks like we got a winner in that draft pick, but let's you know let's not pull out the MVP awards or anything for him just yet because it is his first season. But it looks like he's going to work out. Keanu Neal has been a resurgent lately and and, and bounced back. He he kind of started off the season a little shaky, and I just wonder you know they got this Falcons defense kind of on the upswing. What's it going to be like when they get a new defensive coordinator in here? Because I'm pretty sure the writing is on the wall. I don't know how the front office feels, but. There's a lot of fans out there that really pay close attention to the coaching and the play calling, and then they're pretty dialed in. And no one seemingly is happy at all with Dirk Cutter's performance. And even when they asked Raheem Morris how he felt about Dirk Cutter, he didn't say much. He, he said he was confident in his team, which to me is kind of a way to dodge the question and kind of a jab at him. You know, he kind of indirectly answered the question, I think, to me and my personal opinion how he really feels about Dirk Cutter in an interim season you know your backs are up against it in the first place because the reason the previous coach got fired is the owner's pissed off he's had it he's fed up and your record stinks already so where do you go from there it really puts you on a much thinner margin than say a first-time coach that starts over with a rebuilding project you know if he starts off 0-5 nobody's surprised because well look what he inherited all that stuff this speaks to what we were talking about when Raheem got the job and a couple of weeks ago in the stink rotten performance they had against New Orleans in the first loss we were talking that hey perhaps that seals it that the interim guy is not going to end up being the head guy just a very thin margin for error and when you start so poorly and there's such a sour taste early in the season then any loss later kind of becomes a oh well they lost again mentality and i think that lends itself that much further to them cleaning house and making total change at the end of the season but obviously that remains to be seen i honestly don't think it remains to be seen just because i'm pretty sure i'm not sh- no i know for a fact those guys will not be back i just hope i i want them to take their time and i want them to get the right people but i hope it can be something to where they find somebody pretty quickly where the chemistry and everything is there so the players can spend as much time in, in this new offensive scheme and defense. All the things you need to do when rounding out a new coaching staff and getting involved with a team, I, I want them to have as much time as possible because Julio's only 31, but I believe Matt Ryan's approaching age 36, 37. So his clock is ticking. And I I really do think the window is closing fast. And I did say earlier in the season that I decided that instead of blowing it up, I did still believe in the offense. I did want to bring him back. I felt we did owe it to Matt Ryan to get him a ring. And I think the next two seasons will say a lot. If they don't do it in the next two seasons, I think there's – I don't know. But that's another challenge right there. Can a coach come in and turn it around that quickly in there? I mean, how many NFL head coaches have had that type of success in their very first season with a franchise. I don't think there's many. It's a pretty short list. No, you know what? Actually, one was Jim Harbaugh, and that's a great example of what Jim Harbaugh is. He's kind of at least what he was when I knew him earlier in his career when he went to University of San Diego. He goes in and immediately changes the collective mindset and instills this fighting mentality, but then the team gets better and the team improves and the team competes, other than at Michigan, I guess, but competes on a higher level and is better and more relevant than they've been, then his message and his methods grow on or wear on people, and it kind of wears down. Well, 
Whether or not Morris is the head coach after this season remains to be seen, but one constant that existed before him and has existed during him, and we hope doesn't exist after him, is red zone execution. That was poor again Sunday, and Morris talked here about red zone execution and how that's part of winning culture. It's definitely a connection, you know, without a doubt. You know, like as I talked about scoring is your job on offense and getting the ball back is your job on defense. I think that was the first, the very, the one of the first things I said was most important for us. And that's definitely a part of building the winning culture. So you're talking about scoring points. Our red zone woes I talk about, you know, you play a really good defense. We made some really good plays and they made some better ones, you know, and I'm particularly talking about the ones to Calvin, the tiptoe along the sideline, maybe one or two times there. Um, some of the executions when they were able to come through and get a sack or a big time play in the red zone, like they ended the game on that run, we had to bounce outside and they ran us down and created us in a long situation in the fourth and nine where those things get really tough. I would have to tip my hat off to the Saints defense yesterday because they haven't allowed many touchdowns at all. I think, like I said yesterday, we were probably the, the first team to score them in, a, in quite, a, quite a bit of a time. But we have to get better in order to develop a winning culture. you got to be able to get in the end zone, and there's no doubt about that. And how you do that is you got to go out there and execute better. So we got to find a way for our coaching staff and our practice guys and our habits and even our, our preparation and what we want to do to do a better job in the red zone. Yeah, it's amazing to me and very common – but amazing to me how often you hear coaches say stuff just like that, you know, winning culture, all those things. And it's a fleeting quality. The example I'll give you, of course, is the 2016 Falcons. You know, the message resonated that year. Everything connected. Everything clicked. You got bounces. You got breaks. You got things to go your way. You were successful enough. You had home field games in a lot of instances against big and even playoff opponents. But it's a fleeting quality, and it can vanish very quickly. And the greatest coaches in the history of the league are the ones who come in, they establish that culture, they build on it every year, even if they move pieces along, and they persevere. And even if they have a – Mike Tomlin's a great example. Even if he has a bad season here or there, you know, the Twitterverse, people like that will start to call for his head because we live in an instant gratification world. But the irony is, or the truth is, that – success as a head coach and your message resonating all those things coming together can be a very short-lived thing but any team technically other than maybe the Bengals is yeah. capable of it man I just know one thing I don't want to hear another Falcons player or another Falcons coach say these words after a game we've got to get better duh <laughs> no kidding McFly everyone knows you have to get better just so just See, man this is where I need the hello McFly yeah and, and he talked, and you know, just then Raheem Morris talked about scoring points. When you talk about scoring points, let's talk about Young Hoku, who's the NFL's leading scorer, number one. But here's another bad thing about the Falcons and their offense he has outscored the Falcons' offense 38 to 30 over the past three weeks. That to me just says the offense is broken, it's anemic, and, and Matt Ryan says we have to play. But well, I know you have to play better, but you also have to have better play calling, better coaching, better leadership, more imaginative play calling. It's it's not. It's dull, it's boring, and it sucks. That's I mean, that's pretty much where I'm at now. I'm I'm over the coaching staff. I don't want them here next year. And and the Falcons Nation, from being on Twitter and in this uh Forever I Love Atlanta sports podcast I was on this past Sunday night, is kind of almost down the middle half the fan base says you know they're calling him Raheem the dream and and I did say that I really liked what Jeff Ulbrich done but you know some of them want him back but I'm on the I'm definitely on the other side of that fence of hey guys you're all great coaches I wish you the best of luck but I think we have to cleanse ourselves of anything Dan Quinn related it is it's just time for a full scrub down 
you know, a new, rinsing. Yeah, you know, we, <laughs> you know, dunk them in the swirl, the swirly. I was thing, just you know? gonna say we'll get to the, we'll get to some rinsing after a while. Yeah, too. so I, I think it is time to clean house and, and bring in a new attitude, a new philosophy, a new identity. And some people will say, and they may fire back with, well, "Can you do that with the, with the same old players?" Or do you, do you, in order to do that, do you have to blow it up? I think that professional athletes can be chameleons. They can kind of adapt. If they're good, anyway, if they're consummate professionals and they know their craft, they can adapt and change and adapt new philosophy. Even the old veterans, I think, can kind of take on some um, some new looks and some new attitudes. And You know, it always depends on who it is. It emanates. I mean, they always say the snake or the monster dies from the head, and it depends on who it is. You know, you could go out and get a wildly successful guy, at least career record-wise, Bobby Petrino, a great example. But then he comes in, and he's kind of a toxic, dislikable, somewhat despicable human being. And it's hard to get a team to rally around a guy they don't like. Really, that's the essence of where that message resonates right there. A, they got to believe in it, and B, they got to like the guy and or greatly respect the guy who's delivering it. And it really starts right there. If you can command the room, you don't have to have be everybody's best friend. You don't have to be liked. But if you can command the room as a leader and gain people's respect and get them to produce for you, I mean, that's where the head coaching thing, more so than X and O's, schemes, play calls, designs, all that, because a lot of that's very similar on one hand. It's a copycat league after all, but also to a degree generic, as in, you know, play action, there are multiple variations of play action. There are multiple variations of this and that formation and how to utilize players in it. But in the end, it's the message that comes from the top, the guy who leads the troops, the assistants that he hires and you know how well synergy wise those people are on the same page there's so many moving parts that are mental in a business frankly like this that that head coach is such a key role we got deep into that on sunday night when i was on the other podcast and i don't know his name yet but i'm going to have him on because he does a lot of research on coaches he, he was pretty well educated about all the different coaches he wants a guy and you discovered him on twitter yeah, I found him on Twitter. And we we just, need, okay, so what, we'll have him on, but let's also give him an, an award. Because on Twitter, typically, <laughs> there are tons of experts who don't do much research or really yeah. know much about the game, but that'll be another topic for another time. And, you know, the thing was is everybody was saying, hey, I want an offensive-minded head coach. I want a defensive-minded head coach. And I was on that train too, but I, I kind of have, have switched it up in talking to you and, and doing some reading on my own. I want a good administrator. Yeah. I want a good leader. I think I want an older veteran head coach, but I want the younger, innovative, offensive mind, and I'm still mad that Matt LaFleur got out of town. You know, I don't know how that ever happened. It's really a COO role. Yeah, you know, exactly. Chief operating officer role. And you got to have somebody that commands respect, gets results, and develops the right kind of schemes, plans, whatever it is, business plans, strategies, whatever, however you want to paraphrase it, that's what you need. Well, one guy that's played very well for Atlanta steadily over the years and has seen plenty of these games against the Saints was Grady Jarrett. And Grady, on the fact that they hoped for a better start in the game, and they didn't get it. You know, just some converted third downs in critical situations and um, drives being kept alive. And, um, you know, we just got to be – be ready to get off the field, you know? And like I said earlier in the week, got to respond and try to go off on a better start. And Grady goes on to talk about, and this is a problem too, New Orleans dominated time of possession. They won that battle by like 13 plus minutes, which 
you got to have the ball to score points, and you got to have the ball to keep the other team from scoring points most of the time. Here is Grady on the fact that they had this goal, but nonetheless, the Saints had the time of possession edge by more than 13 minutes. That's definitely the game they wanted to play was control the time of possession, control the ball so they can, you know, keep the game closed, run the ball with a, with, with the quarterback situation they got going on. So all in all, we played the game to the way they wanted to, which we didn't want to do, but we were still in position to win the game. So it's not all bad to take away from this game, but yeah, we, we, we tied losing, didn't want to lose that game, and we still fought all the way to the end and was in position to win the game at the end. And Grady's seen a lot, Robert, of these Saints games, and like we talked about, New Orleans now has won six of the last seven meetings between the teams, so that is a trend they obviously want to change. You know, Atlanta did get some pressure somewhat later in the game, and Grady talks a little bit about that, but he also, as a guy who's on the Falcons, is not really pleased about losing six out of seven to the Saints. You know, we was able to get some pressure towards the end, and um, just take advantage, try to take advantage of some matchups and what they want to do. But um, we, we, as a group, I think we still got to do better, myself included. You know, you definitely want to, me being here on my sixth year now and, um, you know, dropping games to them is tough, but ain't nobody going to feel bad for us. You know, we got to go out there and execute and um, we got to try best to come out on top. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that stat at all. Whenever you get an opportunity to play this game, you always put your best foot forward and, um, you know, always got the mindset, the best always yet to come, and um, I believe that, and I think my best football is ahead of me. I think the best football is ahead of this team, and I'm looking forward to finish strong. And Grady's last point there, of course, now the look ahead as you have a quarter of the season left, what are you going to do with it? But you're not playing for anything other than improving your record, finishing with a little bit more respectability, and as a professional, putting up the kind of numbers and performances that will either convince the Falcons you belong here or showcase your skills for other teams around the league as the season winds down. Definitely, and, and a lot of people would say that the Falcons are now playing for draft position, and there there are those, and it's really this is kind of a, you know, two sides of a coin. There are those that think that tanking doesn't happen in professional sports. They really believe it. I personally don't think it does, but then there are those people that think, hey, let's just tank it, man. Let's keep Julio healthy. Let's keep Matt Ryan healthy. Let's get out there and just do what we need to do to not ruin the draft. And that's been a joke in the history of the Falcons organization. In my time, I've been just about been in Atlanta my whole life. Everybody will say, well, the Falcons will probably be just good enough to ruin the draft. And <laughs> I hope that's not the case this year. That's a heck of a legacy to be known for, isn't it? But, you know, at 4-8, and and then I think we're going against a 3-9 and Chargers team and they're two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. I mean, we could come out with a win. And You remember earlier in the year we joked around when they started 0-5 and they're ready to fire Quinn. We talked about tank for Trevor. It's been done. I mean, it's been accused, certainly, a lot. The Philadelphia 76ers a few years ago basically traded away any serviceable parts. Most people that had a pulse were gone, and they went out and got a bunch of guys, and, you know, they were awful. I, they did win more than the whatever it was, the 1973 Sixers that won only nine games. How do you win nine times out of 82? This is where I need the Ferris Bueller's day off. Yeah. Nine times. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you how do you only win nine times out of 82 games? But anyway, the point is, and then later on, the year that Peyton Manning had the neck injury and he was still with the Colts and he didn't play the entire year, the phrase in Indianapolis was suck for luck. Well, they got <laughs> they, him. They didn't disappoint. Yeah. But the point is, you know, it's always subjective as to whether or not anybody tanks or doesn't tank 
But in the case of the 76ers, I think it was four or five years ago, they may be the best evidentiary example. In other words, there was direct evidence almost that, okay, we're just going to blow this thing up. So let's just play with a bunch of guys who are a little bit like, you know, the Cleveland Indians in Major League. The, yep. I want to build a team that is so bad we can break our lease and move to Miami. <laughs> My favorite part of it, he's like, this guy here is dead. <laughs> Cross him off then. He doesn't fit into our team concept. But given the Falcons' schedule, too, it's it's shaping up uh, pretty well for them to probably finish with a losing record and and have pretty good draft (laughs) position. I don't know how they'll fare against the Bucs. It depends on which team shows up. Honestly, like I said, and and we we could we're, we're beating a dead horse now when we say the term consistently inconsistent. Well, yeah, because we really don't know what team. Well, we're four games get each left. Week. I would submit to you somehow they'll find a way to win one or two, and somehow they'll find a way to lose two or three. I mean, that's, I'm still going to you know, watch from home, do. so I can just say that I'm supporting my team because that's another thing. Uh, going back to that podcast, I dogged on Atlanta fans again and, and made fun of them for their their negative attitude, and sometimes they think too much with their emotions and. Fair weather and all that, and I said, "Hey, zero and sixteen or sixteen and zero, you ride with your team, you die with your team." So I'm going to watch them, but I'm still calling it. The Chiefs are going to beat the Falcons like a drum, like a rented mule. Yeah, redheaded <laughs> stepchild. I'm telling you, it's. I think it's really going to be ugly. But now that I say that, you know, because hey, the Raiders hung tough with the Chiefs. Watch them slip up and like pull a move, and I and I'm not for sure, but I think I think the football team just beat the Steelers. Yeah, the Washington football. You know what? I refuse. Uh, I don't. Yeah. Want, <laughs> this is not even a road that we want to go down. But yeah, I mean that that's another example though. Like we talked about last week about how the the Vikings had shocked the Packers earlier in the year. This and that. Anybody can beat anybody, and. That's just the nature of the sport, and that goes back to that combine era, robotic talent levels that are essentially very similar in terms of 40 times size, weight, height, speed, all those things. It's all so measured nowadays. You take almost an entire roster, there's not a whole lot of difference at one or any position from one team to another. That's where it goes back to that collective mindset, the leadership stuff, where we were on that rant about coaching a little bit earlier. Time now for us to take a break. Then we're going to rant a little bit more, and we're going to swirl some people too. Yep, all kinds of fun stuff coming up for you. Stay glued to your seat, and if you're not there already, we'll glue yourself down because we've got swirlies coming at you next. Falcon's Flight is a presentation of Believe Entertainment. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. Do you believe both of us do? And we're back after this. Mr. Hardwood is Atlanta's premier flooring expert, but Hardwood is just the beginning. Mr. Hardwood also installs laminate, tile, vinyl, carpet, and more. Your home is likely your biggest investment. Not only can you enhance its value with beautiful new floors, but our lifetime transferable warranty will enhance the value even more. If you stand on it, Mr. Hardwood stands behind it. Mr. Hardwood is committed to setting the industry standard for all your uniquely designed and professionally installed flooring solutions. Our number one goal is to exceed our customers' needs by providing value, quality, and exceptional service even after the sale. We take great pride in high-quality craftsmanship and integrity and are not satisfied until we have exceeded your expectations. Mr. Hardwood, Atlanta's flooring experts. To set up your free consultation, call Mr. Hardwood today at 770-318-8880 or go to mrhardwoodinc.com. 
Like in football, whether it's in business, recreation, or life, you need a game plan. Is your computer running slow? Is it infected with viruses or malware? Maybe you're a gamer and really want a custom-built computer specifically for gaming. Perhaps like us, you want a lightning-fast, state-of-the-art, solid-state drive to replace that clunky, old-school one in your machine. Your game plan for any of this should be Computers Plus. A lot of the components we use to produce and bring you Falcon's Flight have been upgraded or provided by Computers Plus. Computers Plus is located in Ackworth, Georgia at 3330 Cobb Parkway Northwest, Suite 154. But wherever you are, they can help. Stop in and see them. They also feature a full line of accessories and refurbished equipment. Give them a call today at 770-693-0769 or check them out at computersplususa.com. You'll be glad you did. It is Falcons Flight Edition number 19. Brian Giffen, Robert Taylor, and we're back in the posh Powder Springs Big Play Media Studios where we bring you the latest in falconry. Is that such a word? Let's invent that. I, I, I think we? it is. Yeah, let's let's talk falconry. But as we look ahead, and all kidding aside, man, if any of you guys knew, this this year has been one of those, obviously for all of us, in so many walks, for so many reasons, this year has been, well, interesting to say the least. It's been nightmarish in a lot of other areas. But this year, because of the way everything came down, you know, of course, Rob, you know well that I normally do college football in the falls and in the fall and was prepared to do all that. But... It didn't go that way this year, and you and I, as a result, at the 11th hour, got involved in uh, doing football at North Cobb High School here, which is a very large, very successful high school football program in particular, and we had a great time doing that, but the amount of work that goes in behind it to produce, direct, engineer, build, and assemble those games, let alone call them and you know engineer them and all those things, is a pretty big chore. But this year for the Falcons, of course, starting off 0-5 has been one of those years, again, world beaters and egg beaters. As you look ahead, they take on what, for the most part, has been another egg beater. The Los Angeles, San Diego, Los Angeles, where the hell are they going to be next? Chargers, who will take on the Falcons next Sunday. I don't know about you, Robert. I haven't studied the Chargers that much, and naga, naga, not going to bother now because they haven't had a very good year or been very relevant anyway. No, definitely not. I mean, they're coming off a 45 to nothing drubbing by the Patriots, and you you talk about head coaching vacancies. I don't think Anthony Lynn is going to be there. The Chargers are 8 and 20 since the start of the last season. Yeah. That's a four, and they're also four and sixteen in one score games. Justin Herbert almost said a bear, but that is Close. not it's his name. the same. Well, yeah. other than that, that ridiculous R. Yeah, and I mean, you could look for the Falcons, and again, if if the Falcons that played the Raiders show up, they're going to win out in San Diego. You know, maybe that's what the Falcons need. Maybe they need a little vitamin D therapy and some sun and surf out there and uh, get their minds right. But yeah, Los Angeles, San Diego, Los Angeles, wherever. They yeah. play in that soccer stadium. Well, actually, now that the Rams stadium opened up, they're playing in that. It's an arrangement akin to what they've done at the Meadowlands for years with the Jets and the Giants, where two teams basically share one. They roll out different end zones and 50-yard line logos, but it's essentially the same place. But, you know, a franchise that hasn't had significant success essentially ever in their history. They've been to a couple AFC championship games. They've been to a Super Bowl. 
But, you know, again, one of those franchises, a little bit like Atlanta in that they've been up and down over the years. They had Drew Brees at one point, and they cast him aside for Phillip Rivers. Well, Phillip Rivers is still playing, but so is Drew Brees, and I would give me a choice. I'm taking Drew Brees, but... Good example, San Diego is also the franchise way back that drafted Ryan Leaf instead of Peyton Manning. So it is what it is sometimes. I like the Falcons' chances to bounce back and get a win in this game as much because they're playing another team that's one of those world beater, egg beater teams that got drubbed, as you talked about, 45 to nothing, and they're playing out the string just like the Falcons are. I mean, depending on which teams show up, this has the potential to be a very comical football game. <laughs> That's a but good word. I, I, I'll say something, though. I like Phillip Rivers, and Phillip Rivers oh, yeah. has, has very quietly, kind of under the radar, become a Hall of Fame quarterback. I, I fully believe. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of the playoffs. You know, I think playoffs you could make and, that and case. I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Also, too, Phillip has been busy in personal life as well. That guy's got like nine kids. <laughs> It's insane. I, I, and I knew he had a lot, but I read it the other day, and I was like, good Lord, man. Yeah. You know, but, hey, you're an NFL quarterback. You can afford them. But. I guess that's the nature of the gig sometimes. Everybody's yeah. different in these things. You know, I've made it this long in life and have nary a one, and that's fine. I got all the nieces and nephews, and the family name's been carried on. My life just worked out differently. I well, really well Brian, any. I'll go ahead and say none that you know about. <laughs> and terrible. I'll say none that I know about, too, because we were both late-night <laughs> bartender restaurant oh, people way point, back in the yeah. day you know in, a, in, a, in another life we you were... mean to tell you mean to tell me that you don't have the impression that when i finished those shifts where i was only there for the money do you think i didn't just go straight home have milk and cookies and go to bed i've heard too many stories <laughs> i've heard too many so- now we all have our ghosts in the closet yeah. so to speak hey man life's no fun unless you don't have a couple of skeletons hanging around in the closet There's but no doubt about speaking it. of you know something we need to drag out of the closet we haven't done it all season and we did it on our old podcast. I, I think we got to give him a call and see if he's available and see if he's got it all uh, oiled the up. And bugler. Everything. Yeah, we got to. <laughs> he probably needs a little extra Christmas money. I think we should call him up Gosh, and see if so we can get him in here. There's so many franchises. We'd have to back. To, we'd have to play this. We could make an entire podcast of the bugler playing taps, and we just come in with voice interruptions in between and say that taps was for the Falcons who started zero and five and whose season ended before Halloween. And then you move along and you play taps again and you come out of that. He's like, this one was for the Los Angeles, San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers. Who's, who even knows what their record is, but they're not good. And their season ended a long time ago. Then you play taps again. Literally, we could put him to work and he could do an entire episode for us where we just voice in the interludes in between. The Chargers, I think, are three and nine. And I'll be, oh, sure, okay. to, I'll be sure to bring some chapstick for the bugler as well. But. <laughs> Um, And some to look forward to, Falcons fans. You know, we'll still give you – we'll still touch on highlights. Of course we will. But I think we're going to maybe – and we've done it a couple of times on the show, but I I, I promised him since – and his Twitter handle, his show handle is The Don. And I just want to say thank you again. Give him a shout-out. He's on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button forever. I love Atlanta sports. But I want to get him on here because, first of all – He's got to be a glutton for punishment. Yeah. Well, first of all, he wants to spell – and what he says, the myth that Eric Bieniemy is not the choice for the Falcons, and in fact, not the head coach that people think he could be, because he's got a lot. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say a word because I want to get him on here and let yeah. him say it. But a guy he wants to see as at offensive coordinator is Syracuse's offensive coordinator, and I hope I get his name right. Dino Babers is a guy that he likes a lot. You I know, whoever we, it is, man, it's it's a crapshoot. There's a reason these franchises change coaches so often. It's far less often you find the right guy than just another guy. Let's face it, regardless of whether it's an interim or not. 
Well, I can't wait to get him on and talk about it because, again, uh, we talked about that a lot, and I think that's what we can really start to turn our focus to. It's kind of hot stove stuff and, hey, who's going, who's coming, who do you want to see gone, who do you want to bring in, you know, personnel. I'm talking from players to, you know, staff, GM, you know, all, all across the board. Who would you like to see bring in? And I just wonder, is, is Arthur going to hire that same firm or, or a, a, a <laughs> similar firm to do the search, or him and Rich McKay just going to pick up the phone? Yeah, let's involve some more analytics people. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, why not? You know my thoughts on analytics people. That's a road I won't go down today. But however it goes, I hope three years from now, I'm not paraphrasing Don Sutton again and saying, well, they started that five-year plan and it's been three years already. Yeah. So we'll find out. That said, though, Rob, what time is it? It is swirly time, swirly time, swirly time. The Falcon's flight crew is intolerant of jackassery. That sniff was brought to you by place where morons are plunged headlong into a blue vortex of irony. Where imbeciles are irrigated, dumbasses are drenched, and abject idiocy rinsed away. Where pompous assery comes face to face with porcelain. Where chlorine, tidy bowl, and bleach administer swift, swirling justice. This is our Game of Thrones. Where mindsets and hairstyles are forever altered. It is the Falcon's Flight Swirly segment. Now let's get this party started. Are you ready? We, in fact, are ready. We have polished the handle again. We do that every week. Chrome gets fingerprints. It must be done. OCD? Why not? We have shined up the lid, and for the purposes of the next few moments, we have opened the lid, and that can only mean one thing, to paraphrase my friend Steve Holman, who announces the Atlanta Hawks games on radio. Only in this case, it doesn't mean Atlanta Hawks basketball. It means that it's time for the world-famous Swirly Saint. By the way, the guy that had you on his podcast, did he bring up or did you guys reference the world-famous Swirly segment? I honestly don't know if he's heard the podcast <laughs> yet. He Should have had a quiz. He graciously let me plug it, and I think I've sent him some links personally, but I don't know. It's just it's just cool to network and sure, you know, no doubt, and, and, no doubt, and get it out there. But I'm gonna make sure I touch base with him today, though, and say, hey, man, listen to this latest episode. We gave you a plug, <laughs> and you got to check out our swirly section if you haven't heard it yet. Yeah, you know, in hindsight, where I made that intro for this thing that we've used to paraphrase me ad nauseum all the way back to our previous podcast that we worked on. Instead of imbeciles, I should have done imbeciles. Yeah, because you could write a little poem about all these coaching failures over the years where guys go in, they have a new five-year plan, and every three years they get fired, and somebody else with a five-year plan comes in, say, we invited in an imbecile and invited him in to coach for a while. (laughs) And then, you know, you take the rest of the poem from there. The guy was a jerk. The plan didn't work, and Bobby ended up at Arkansas. (laughs) You know what I mean. Anyway, speaking of imbeciles or imbeciles, depending on your vernacular, For this one, (laughs) we go to, and you said something about networking. Let's go to a network. I am swirling none other than, and I think on our previous podcast you said this, 
I'm just going to say this guy's name, and everybody out there listening, when you find out that we want to put his head in the toes, oh, yeah, 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 mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Skip Bayless. Yes, I am swirling Skip Bayless. So, backstory. On October 13th of 1989, the Dallas Cowboys engineered one of the largest, most lopsided, and most important trades in NFL history. They dealt all pro running back. Are you ready for it? Herschel Walker, who everybody knows well around here, in exchange for a huge package of picks and players that became the roster foundation of a three-time Super Bowl winner. You know, history allows room for an argument between Jerry Jones or Jimmy Johnson, you know, who was the mastermind of the deal. But recently, FS1 viewers, and I regret even saying that because I don't want anybody to go watch this clown, that employs Skip Bayless and Jimmy Johnson is being asked to give some credit to a third party. Bayless is on TV claiming that he had inside knowledge beforehand of the coming trade. And how did he know? Because Bayless claims, I was right in the middle of it. Jimmy actually came to me and asked me, what if I told you I could trade Herschel Walker for a king's ransom? That's what he asked me. I said, seriously? Well, no, skip. Not seriously, as Jimmy Johnson has come out and seems to have a wildly different memory of this than Skip as Johnson came out and basically said, I never said this. And in other words, exposing Skip for, I think, what most people think Skip is. A lying idiot? A buffoon? (laughs) Well, he's emblematic, though, of sports media in general these days. There's several, but if there's one guy right at the top of the list of journalists, sports editors, I don't know how he got to where he got. (laughs) His his brother's a famous chef, but... Skip Skip Bayless Bayless was actually, to be fair, was a pretty good writer years ago and covered the Cowboys franchise as a writer and has for a long time. It's, you know, in the years of pardon the interruption or, you know, pardon the annoyance or whatever the hell it is that he's on over the years that have led to Skip becoming this larger than life, but moron, but far south of accurate individual who, I guess, whatever fame, fortune has come from it has gone to his head. Well, speaking of his head, (laughs) hey, Skip, your head's going to drip because it's going in there right now. Get over here. Liar. Let's change his last name from Bayless to Say Less. That's it, boy. Get in there nice and deep. Ooh, I didn't think about it. I'll tell you more in a moment. Don't nobody go in the bathroom for about 35, 45 minutes. Somebody open the window. See the peanut? It's Skip Bayless. (laughs) But I was going to say, you know, this just occurred to me, and this is information that makes me feel great peril for what we're doing here. My years in Major League Baseball, the last several, particularly in California, you would go into the restroom facilities in some of these ballparks, and they have these waterless urinals. If they develop waterless toilets, we're not going to be able to swirl. What, are you going to air swirl somebody? I mean, they got, they'll have to come confiscate the one we have, which we won't let them do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's ours. We Bring it on, Jack. Yeah. We got another one where that one came from, too. It's, it's even bigger, too. Yeah, it is. It's so big that we had to special order it through Amazon.com. Exactly. <laughs> the world's online plumbing giant. We had to order it from them. It's called the Shatner Turbo 2000. Now, we don't have that handy right now, but if we have to bust it out of the closet polish it off and start putting morons and imbeciles in there it'll happen over to you
Well, I wish we could pull it out for this one because <laughs> I, I'm infuriated. I'm beyond mad. <laughs> like, it wouldn't do any good because violence begets violence. So this isn't mock infuriated. You're actually infuriated. Yeah. And I'm going to read this first because this was, this was what made me even more upset. Everybody knows that the, the moron, the crayon eater, the mouth breather, the window licker, the total idiot out of Texas. His name is Emmanuel Duran, and I want you to remember that name so if you cross his path the rest of your life, you can just shun him off because he's an idiot. He is a foul human being. I, I don't know what has happened to wow. this young man at, at 18, but he is, he's a rotten egg, and I'm going to tell you why. And you probably are – well, Brian, I know you already know why, but a lot of you probably already know why. Before I tell you, I'm going to read this because I, I, I read through the whole article and I've read it several times. This is out of Texas. Everybody knows what he did. But it says this. Unfortunately, this type of blindsided assault on an official while working on the field is not new to Texas football. That's disgusting. And something needs to be done about it quickly. So he attacked an official. Yeah, he blindsided him. He got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, was booted, and I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it was unsportsmanlike conduct, but he got booted from the game. Kicked him out. Hey, you're out. Moments later, this and this kid is built like a brick house. He is a big kid. He looks like a big, tough, mean kid. He looks like a bully, if you want to know my personal opinion. He runs out onto the field and blindsides a 60-plus-year-old referee and knocks him out cold wow. and gives him a concussion. Now, he's, he's in jail on assault charges. Oh, yeah. His team has been kicked out of the playoffs. They are no longer I think they should be suspended for half the season or something. I think all of their players should have to take some sort of anger management program. Their coaches, this kid should never ever be allowed to play another organized team sport the rest of his living life. No college nowhere. I don't care if it's some stupid little college no. out in the middle of the plains, you know that that has a, you know, 20 player roster. Seriously, you're banned. Everybody needs to stand up together and say this is not okay for this to happen. There is no amount of psychological evaluation, no amount of punishment that can ever right what you did. Wow. Now, some people might fire back at me and say, well, hey, now it's completely unrelated. I get it. But everybody knows what happened to Mike Vick. Now, he he did his time and, and served his uh, punishment and, and went through several, uh, you know, different kind of uh, training, you know, uh, anger management, whatever. And now he's back in the spotlight. But I'm sorry. This is so uncalled for. Like, it's ridiculous. Let other kids, Criminal. Yeah, criminal. Other kids see this. And I hope his parents are hiding in shame. I hope. I haven't seen any statements from the parents. I'm sure there's probably some out there. Maybe there isn't. Maybe they're staying wow. quiet. Maybe they've lawyered up. I hope they're embarrassed. I hope they're completely ashamed, infuriated, and just completely upset by what their son did. Because, well, I mean... You know, I, I want to punch him right in the face, but it wouldn't do any good because if you're dumb enough to do that, a punch in the face ain't going to solve anything. This, I would this, submit. This, kid, and I, this kid's disturbed. There's something wrong with him. I may be wrong on this, but I would submit that, you know, the very parents you just said should be embarrassed probably indirectly had something to do with this because how do you raise a guy who would do such a thing and how do you not correct these kinds of behaviors when somebody's very young? But it is what it is. It sounds like this dude needs to do time. And yep. probably beyond that, get some help at some point. But that help shouldn't happen on any football or athletic field ever. 
you know, it's funny, it's such a serious topic, and this is not typically a serious segment, so we'll transition our way back with, yeah. hey, Duran, your head deservedly is in the john, and your ass is probably going to end up behind bars. Get over here. That's it, boy. Get in there nice deep. I'm going to hold his nose and his mouth. reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass yeah and that's about the best way to sum it up although uh, i'm sure that the legal system will have other terminologies to describe someone who would perpetrate such an act guaranteed this wasn't an isolated event this wasn't a thing where they're like oh my god i can't believe he did that kids probably going around his neighborhood doing this when he didn't get his way his whole life yeah i i i I would almost bet money so emmanuel duran Good night. Piss off, really. You got problems, dude. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, a somber note to close everything out on. Yeah, but it sorry, is guys. That's all right. <laughs> Falcons take on the Chargers. That is next on the schedule as they get into the final quarter of the season here in 2020, a season that largely has been forgettable to this point. Although we have had significant amounts of fun covering it, whether or not the team has cooperated in the W column or not final thoughts rob again i just want to say falcons fans you know i'm going to keep railing on you till i see some improvement till i see some different attitudes and different chatter across social media man get behind your team support the new staff when they get in here because you know everybody speculates but it's coming and whether you like it or not julio and matt are still going to be here we can go into cap space and dead money and all that stuff it just doesn't make sense to move them so they're guaranteed they're coming back I would be completely shocked if a GM came here and, and did anything otherwise. But stay positive. Support your team. Stop being negative. Stop beating them up. Bad seasons happen. We should, we're used to this by now in Atlanta, and we got to turn the corner and put a little more positivity out there, and I bet you see some results because just like on this podcast I was on, players talk. Coaches talk. I very much feel like the fan base influences and can be a huge influence on who comes to town to help us get this thing back on track. So just remember that, guys. Remember that when you're out there in the the universe being negative. All right. Well, well said. Falcons take on the Chargers on Sunday. We will recap that one when episode 20 hits your podcast shelves. That will come your way after this ball game. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. We remind you that Falcons Flight is a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe? We do. Thanks a whole bunch for joining us today. Tune in again next week, everybody, and we are out. Thank you for listening to Falcons Flight. Tune in throughout the season for updates, insights, and analysis on the Dirty Birds. Falcons Flight is a production of Believe Entertainment. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.